Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we are talking to Steve Yunkins, who is a sound engineer for six months out of the year at Stages in St. Louis, but most people probably would recognize him as the creator, writer, artist for the amazing theater comic strip, Q to Q. I'm pretty sure that uh, every theater I have been to in the last couple of years has a comic on their wall from him. Uh, it's all over every Facebook page, Instagram page, t-shirts. Uh, I've even seen some people cosplay some of your characters, which is uh, pretty amazing. So six months of the year, you're an artist and six months of the year, you're an, a sound engineer. So welcome to the podcast. Which is, which is still an artist. It's still <laughs> an artist, true. but like not a hand drawing artist. It's a different form. Not of a hand drawing artist. Okay, thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> thanks for having me, though. <laughs> uh, so, how did you get into theater? Um, it, it it's kind of a, a long story. Um, uh, it it goes back to to middle school um, when I uh, signed up on a, a class sign up sheet going around. Uh, to be the stage manager for a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, oh, you started I had small. no idea what it was. Hmm? You started small, right into stage management. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? I had no idea what it was, and it was just on a list, and I was like, oh, I want to do this, I think. So I put it down and had no intention of ever being on stage, and then middle school being what it is, half of the actors dropped out, and so I wound up on stage as Aegeus, uh, terrified out of my mind, uh, trying to remember dialogue uh, on stage and then vowing that I will never do theater again after this. <laughs> um, yep. It's very similar to Stacy and my story. We're like, this is horrible. We're never doing this again. Yeah. Um, well, I spent all of high school not doing it intentionally being like, this is not a thing that I want to do. Um, and so I got into uh, music. I was a musician. I would run sound for local shows and, um, uh, I did that for a while. Um, I continued doing that all through high school and into college. Um, and I got paid to do it. Uh, people would pay me to spend my Saturday night live or Saturday night, uh, just live mixing their show. Um, and yeah, uh, then I got into college and, uh, I was trying to impress a girl and she needed a sound designer for a production of vampire lesbians of Sodom. Um, Nice. And I thought I can do that. I can. That's that sounds uh, super easy. Um, I will totally be <laughs> able to do that. Uh, she described it as like making a two-hour mixtape, and then I was like, yeah, no, that's that's something I can totally do. Um, <laughs> uh, and I did, and it went well. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, it's great when you're uh, you can pick whatever you want because you're not worried about rights because no one's going to come see your show anyway, and so you just kind of pick. All the best songs <laughs> yep. and throw them out there and your friends come see the show and there's a lot of joy to it. Um, and uh, yeah, so after that, I was the only person doing sound in a liberal arts college that didn't have a theater program. Um, and so I worked on every single show that they did, every main stage show, every student production. Um, and I was the only person there. So I learned how to make sound work out of a bunch of terrible equipment and jerry-rig everything together and you know <laughs> tape it till it works and 
uh, yeah, that was it. Um, and then I graduated with a degree in English and then there was no one doing sound at the theater. So the director called me up and I then worked as a contractor there for six or seven years as the, uh, um, I was the sound designer and audio engineer for their, all their main stage shows for every semester after that. Um, <laughs> you just couldn't get out. Um, <laughs> that is kind of the way that it works. Yeah. Um, my roommate in college is the person that uh, Woggles was based on. Um, and he kind of had the same thing happen where he was the only person doing lighting. Uh, it was, it is important to mention that the school didn't have a theater program that, we had one professor who taught two classes. They were acting and improv, and we somehow still put shows on uh, as some, it was some kind of miracle every year that it actually came together. Um, and yeah, so there were technicians were few and far between. There was no one studying it. We did it out of our, you know, love and free time. Um, and so Doug and I were the two guys that were doing tech for this for the most part. Um, and then after we graduated, they kept hiring us back as contractors. And so we just kind of went <laughs> from college to staying at the college as contractors. And then we both went and worked at the Maryland Ensemble Theater together, where he became the technical director and eventually the production manager. And I was the sound designer and engineer for um, maybe half of the shows every year there. Um, and we continued living together until I went off to St. Louis. <laughs> Did you actually have any formal training in how to do sound or run the board, or is just all kind of trial no, and error? Uh, I learned as much as I could. That I I I studied on my own. Um, I didn't have uh, there there was no support network for me. There was no uh, like I didn't have the option to take classes in it uh, from where I went. Uh, it wasn't something I thought I was going to study, and so I did it on my own. But it's not to say that I just kind of went out there and winged it. Like I. I studied, I learned my craft too. Um, I just had to do it on my own. Um, uh, yeah. Sounds much wow. more, I mean, sound is a so foreign to me. It's one of the, <laughs> it sounds a bit conceited. It's one of the few things that I don't do in theater, but it's just such a scary entity to me. And so to think that you could just kind of teach yourself how to do it is is like black magic. We're talking about 11 years, too, that it wasn't just I walked in there, knew how to do it, that I started doing sound for those those live shows at uh, 13, 14 years old. Um, ah, OK. Yeah. By the time I would graduated uh, college and they started hiring me back, I'd been doing it for more than a decade. And it's not to say that it was good the entire time or even at all. It's a very <laughs> long, slow process. And you, you learn by making mistakes with it. Um, but I also got really good at making junk work. Uh, and so like, I don't enter a situation where I'm daunted by the, the quality of the equipment that I get more nervous when there's fancy new stuff to have to learn. But I also get excited that I have something else to, to take apart and, and learn. Well, hopefully not take apart, but you know, <laughs> hopefully the new stuff is good and working. Intellectually okay. uh, deconstruct. <laughs> <laughs> so if you live uh, you said you're not living in St. Louis. Where are you living currently for the six months you're not in St. Louis? I currently live in Athens, Ohio. Um, my girlfriend is a grad student uh, studying props at Ohio University. Um, nice. And she graduates in this December, and hopefully we will not be living in Ohio much past January. Um, <laughs> uh Yeah, I probably shouldn't rag on Ohio too much, but it's... I left I Ohio as soon as I could, so I understand 
there's an apocryphal story. This probably gets cut eventually, but there is an apocryphal story about Neil Armstrong being asked once about why there are so many astronauts from Ohio. And he looks off into the distance and says, the measure of a man's worth is in how far away he can get from Ohio. <laughs> um, wow. And I think he probably succeeds in the farthest. So good for yeah, him. Yeah. No, but yeah, so I spend uh, six months in St. Louis and six months in Athens. Um, and uh, because I can do the comic wherever, we will... I'll follow Liz wherever it is that she goes for whatever job she gets out of grad school and we'll set up shop there and maybe I'll keep doing St. Louis as long as I can. I love working there. Um, it's a, a good environment for me. Uh, we'll see what, uh, what the future holds there. I'm always impressed with get... the prop people too. They, so many, I'm always impressed with prop people. We started in props. So many skills, mm -hmm. like from what I know as props to what I listen to on, um, silk flowers and paper mache hearts and they're like oh yeah we built this piece of furniture that looks like it's 300 years old from scratch and i'm like oh my god i can barely like reupholster a chair <laughs> <laughs> and reupholstering is not easy either uh, yeah uh, liz has an incredible skill set and i'm amazed like i feel like when i go to work i know i'm working on one piece of machinery and i have one project to do and it's the same thing over and over again um you know i mix the same show every night whereas she uh, will come in and I mean she knows what project she's doing but it's it's different she's building a chair or making fake food and it's it's incredible and you know to have such a like a varied and strong skill set um, I, I feel like I do one or two things very well and I get recognized for it but you know you say you're a prop artisan and there's a million different things that you can be doing um, and never mind whether you're a carpenter or an artisan or working in soft goods uh, like even if you're you you can have you know hundred different things that you can do that are even in those subsets. Um, yeah, I know some props people that their their forte is in fabrication or in soft goods, or some do a lot of uh, puppets. I know two actually that do a lot of puppets, and they're they're props people, but that's just their forte is in puppetry. And some that don't have anything to do with puppets and do a lot of um, like linens and and fabric goods for especially for more naturalistic settings. So props is, it could be so many different things. Yeah. So we should have your girlfriend on the podcast. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. She would love that. <laughs> more people. We're always finding it. Everybody we talk to, we're like, yeah, five more people. <laughs> Everyone's so excited. Yeah. So then how did you, uh, you got a degree in English, you do theater on the side and learn how to do audio. Then how did you get into drawing and writing comics? Uh, that's my my first passion um, that I learned how to read from peanuts and, uh, you know, Sunday morning cartoons, um, you know, uh, that was just that was just what I did uh, going through elementary school, you know, coloring in the you know Garfield little long books and um, just that's, that's what I did. And I've been drawing forever. Not that I'm an amazing artist, but it's a uh, uh, it's always been fun in. In high school, I actually started doing my first like real comics, um, panel by panel, um, and they featured me and my friends, um, and you know, just it was mostly surrealist and absurdist things that I thought was funny. Um, and then once I got into college, I started drawing them. Actually, it was a little bit before that. Um, I was working in a library, uh, and I did a comic about working there because it's one of the things I do to de-stress is I lampoon wherever I'm working. Um, <laughs> 
And so I did a comic with a character named Steve, uh, and he worked in a library. Um, and it's still on the internet somewhere. You can dredge it up. Uh, it's called Circ Jockeys, people that run the circulation desk. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I did that. And then when I got um, when I got to college, uh, I actually started running that in the newspaper there, and I got into into doing that. So I was doing theater and I was editing the newspaper um, or at least the lifestyle section of the newspaper and drawing the comics for it. Um, and it was some serial stuff and some editorial and whatever was kind of needed. Um, and then I stopped doing that after college. I kind of ran out of time for it. Um, yeah, it was, I was always doing that. But then got to a point where uh, Doug, who was the, the real Wuggles, was a uh, um, he was having a particularly rough time uh, during one show and I just wanted to cheer him up a little bit. So I did some doodles of him and me being silly. Um, <laughs> and at some point I drew like 50 post-it notes and stuck them all over his office of just, you know, <laughs> being and those were the original sketches for Q to Q. And then he was just talking about how there is, or at the time there really wasn't a, a, a web comic for theater people, let alone tech theater. Um, mm -hmm. And so we just kind of brainstormed for a minute and then it, didn't go anywhere and then several months later i just got kind of in a manic episode and drew like eight comics in one or two days and added the stage management character and those became the first eight and those are actually the, the first eight that are published um are those that i drew in just one, kind of one day um and they were all inside jokes with uh uh my my theater friends and things that we thought were funny and not anything that was really meant for public consumption um we just kind of put them out there because we worked in an ensemble theater, which was completely different from most other forms of professional theater. And so the stuff that we were doing immediately got uh, comments from people once it hit the like the wider audience that like, oh, well, that's not how we do it in my theater. And that's not how it's done here. And it's like, no, well, it's true. But it is how it was done when I where I was when I was making this comic. And yeah, not all theater is the same. Yeah. That's that's one of the things I've kind of realized doing the comic is that uh, there is no like th there is no one universal uh, experience of what theater is. But at the same time, everything that happens in one theater happens in some other theater, too. Yes. And so there's some group of people that are going to relate to it no matter what it is. That's actually what I love about it is, yeah, there's definitely some that I'm like, oh, we don't quite work that way. But in every single one, I'm like. But Stacy's told me of an experience that, that's exactly like this. Or at Long Beach Playhouse, I've experienced something like this. But yeah, every single one you can relate to. That's so weird that people would comment on it. Oh, constantly. On how it doesn't... Because you're like, have you only worked at one theater ever? I mean, yeah. that would be my reaction. Well, <laughs> there's, there is a prevailing uh, kind of... Um kind of opinion that everyone thinks that their experience of theater is the one true experience of it. Um, and we're all right and we're all wrong about that. Um, that, yeah, your experience That's true. is completely true and real and valid, but, you know, so is mine. <laughs> right. Yeah, in I guess your it's... world, that's how it is. Yeah, I guess it's true so have you anything. Have you based all of the characters off of people that you know, or is it mostly, or just a few characters? Or are the um, others more stereotypes? Well, so some of them are... Uh, like completely specifically one person was the basis but then so let's take we'll take Wuggles for an example yeah he's definitely based on Doug um and he was you know the lighting guy that I worked with the most and I just kind of mm -hmm. drew him and then turns out that there are thousands of people in the world that do his job that look just like him um <laughs> apparently uh I get those all the time um 
but now he's also, since I've stopped working directly with him, every other master electrician, electrician, uh, lighting designer that I've worked with has some piece of them that's in there or that I've been able to plug in a comic of a story they've told me um, where they are in that that shoe, that job type. Um, and so that's how it's kind of gone. And actually, the, the personality of Wuggles is far more me than it is him. And, like, I'm some, like... I put pieces of myself in all of them to help me write them to, so I can be like, Oh, well, this is something I would say this way. So it'll work for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm in some ways part Steve and part Wuggles and there's part of Morty in me. Um, and it just, that helps. But then, yeah, there are also, uh, there are other real people that they're either based on physically or, or I want them to be in the spirit of that person. Um, uh, I mean, Morty started off as a collection of stage managers that I knew. Um, she was originally physically based off one specific person, but her her style has changed and grown. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them were uh, in some way physically inspired by someone or in, um, or their personality was pulled from someone. But it's mostly the stories that do it. Uh, that, and I pull those from everyone that I know. They send me stories, say, oh, I did this thing. This thing happened to me. It would be funny. Um and so they become just this amalgamation of every person that I know that's done that work uh, in some way. They have little bits of them in there. Um, if you read through the commentary in the books, you'll see uh, all the ones that I can remember. I will mention or comment like, oh, well, you know, this specific person helped me with this comic or, you know, I saw this post on Tumblr and requested permission from the author to make it into a comic, um, things like that. Uh, and so they're not even just people I know. They're also coming from, you know, uh, the larger theater communities out there. Um, and I mean, people send me ideas all the time, too. Uh, and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad. But. <laughs> I was going to say, did you ever expect it to get as big as it is with, like, people doing Halloween contests with it no. now? Or? No, not at all. Um, I said the first couple were inside jokes for me and my friends. Uh, I just thought I'd make them laugh, so I put them on Facebook. Um, and then I had a stage manager friend who thought the anatomies were funny, and so she took them and asked my permission and posted them on the um, badass stage managers of Chicago <laughs> private Facebook group and got some <laughs> traction there and um, got shared around in those circles. And so I'd only done something like 10 or 15 comics before they started really circulating heavily and i mean it was it was kind of surreal because up to that point i had had a hard time really considering myself a theater person like you know somebody who works in theater who wants to do this as a, a job and a career or even somebody that this is what i really love doing i've been a cartoonist who took sound work because it paid um and then like realizing that the experiences that I were having um, that I was having were so uh, universal or shared or other people could relate to them and that um, I could fill a need and really like do a service for the community uh, this way. Um, by, you know, uh, working in, in Maryland, I was the only person doing sound there uh, in that theater uh, and in college. And it was very isolating. It was really a lonesome thing to do. Is everyone else like, oh, sound is magic. I don't know how it works and couldn't really help. And so, <laughs> yep, kind of. Um, so I was the only person doing it. And it was like meeting a unicorn whenever I met somebody else who I could actually, you know, talk shop with. Um, and so to put the comics out there and tell jokes about the stuff that I was doing and to have other people be like, yes, that's happened to me too. Um, it was just galvanizing for me to be like, oh man, I am part of this larger community. Um, 
And then to realize that I had the ability to turn that around and help other people that were sitting there like me, uh, maybe isolated in what they were doing to, to see that these things happen to, to everyone or uh, not everyone, but you know, you know what I mean? Other people as well. Yeah. No, it's so true. I say that about stage management all the time. Cause as a stage manager, you know, you, you pretty much work with yourself and you work with maybe one assistant stage manager or whatnot, but you don't get to work with a lot of other stage managers. And so to, to read a lot of your comics always made me laugh because I'll be like, yep, I've been in that situation. My, my favorite. And this Stacy will vouch for this one is, Oh, I don't remember when you released it, but uh, with Morty sitting there being like, this music is so beautiful. Am I usually doing something during this moment? Oh yeah, calling cues. <laughs> and yeah. I have done that on a couple of shows where I'm like, yeah. I just really, and I'll have to like plug my ears sometimes because I just love the music so much that I like forget that I'm supposed to be calling cues. But it's just so perfect. I'm like, oh, thank God I'm not the only one that does that. Yep. <laughs> other stage managers out there who do the exact same thing as me. It's very uh, gratifying. Yeah. Um. That one came specifically from an assistant stage manager in St. Louis who uh, we, you know, would do a scene shift and then we kind of stand there and, and look at what we were doing for a second and then move on. And one night she was just standing there like, yeah, no, this is really cool. I don't normally get to see this from this angle because I'm supposed to be on the other side of the stage. Because <laughs> like, right? I'm supposed to be working right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah, it's very yeah. true. Because when I finally sit down and watch the show, because as a TD, I'd, I'd if I did my job right, I don't have to do anything during the run of the show. So yeah. sometimes I actually sit there and watch the show and be like, oh, yeah, that okay. That did turn out pretty well. I've always just seen it from standing on stage telling people like what to push and where to go and you missed a spike. But yeah, okay, great. That worked. <laughs> yeah, See, I don't often get to watch the shows sitting there as the engineer uh, that I'm reading the script. I'm not looking at what's going on on stage. Uh -huh. um, that the people, the engineers out there that can that uh, make a point to get off book and to be just mixing the show uh, like in the moment with it, I can't do that. I don't know how they they do it. So I sit there watching my script and reading line for line what's going on and line mixing that way. Um, and I know a lot of others do it that way too. Um, but that means that I don't watch the show. I don't see what's going on. Um, and so I'll be in a, in a moment and, you know, something will happen. They'll drop something. Uh, they'll mess something up. And, you know, the audience will be laughing. And someone backstage will try to get in touch and be like, Steve, what happened? What, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not watching this show. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> idea. Else, but I have no idea what's going on. So I, we have to admit that when Stacy first told me that you were not a stage manager and you are not female, I was so surprised because Morty is probably like, the most awesome character I've ever seen. So we just automatically assumed that you were a stage manager because you seem to write so much from the stage manager's perspective. Yeah, she's just funny. No, I like I like putting myself in Morty's shoes. Um, uh, she was the first one to have a really clear voice too, and so a lot of the early comics feature her, focus on her, um, or she has some. Maybe of that's the... why. Yeah, because she is so strong that I just assumed that that's who you were. Yeah, no, and you're not alone. Uh, that was the thing that I got a lot. Um, yeah, I would get, you know, uh, fan mail or hate mail that were like, oh, well, as a female stage manager, you this and you that. Um, and I didn't really post a lot of pictures of myself or, or I don't even know that my author name was on the website when I originally posted because I'm bad at that. Um, <laughs> and yes, yeah, so you kind of had to dig to see who I was or anything. Um, yeah, so I got it a lot that, uh, oh, you have to be this person. There was one, actually, the one that got me was a... Uh, 
uh, somebody sent me a message saying, hey, I love your comic, but you are just so cruel to your poor sound guy. I think if you ever met a sound person, you would know that you're just being so rude to them. Like, <laughs> That's me. I am that sound guy. Yes. Yeah, it's so Very weird how we just assume things because, yeah, Morty is female and a stage manager, so you must be that. It's like, oh, no, no, you're not. It's really cool. I mean, it says I'm doing my job right, I guess. Um, yeah. If, if, you know, you can remove that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I also I sit there. I pay a lot of attention to what's going on. Um, I listen my way through production meetings to everyone, and I always have I've just kind of been uh, you know focused that way about it. Um, and so I pick up the stories and the mannerisms too, and I try to incorporate those. Um, and, and it's not just like the content of what's said, but also like, uh, how things are phrased and how, uh, like it's word choice too, and how you're phrasing things. And if people have certain like quirks and tropes and how they're putting them together, I'll try to, to, to steal those and put them into my characters. <laughs> um, <laughs> try to give them that added edge of realism. Like, yes, I know a stage manager who talks like this. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did you make it a point to make such strong female characters or did it just kind of happen? Because most of your, I'd say at least half your characters are female and they're all like very strong and powerful and know what they want. Um, it was a conscious choice uh, to try to uh, so initially, because the the first three characters were based off people that I knew, they were just who they were. Um, that I didn't make a conscious choice to make Wuggles a male lighting designer or to have me, uh, you know, have Steve as a, a male audio engineer um, with all the tropes that go along there. And if I had it to do over again, I probably would be more conscious about, you know, uh, gender and race choices that I've made in my characters. Um but as it went on, as I started introducing new characters, I wanted to strike some sort of balance with it and to to express some level of diversity with it. I thought it was important, uh, especially having a strong female TD. That was in, important to me as I was designing that character. Um, is that uh, knowing what the the ratio is uh, of men to women in carpentry, especially, uh, and seeing even last year's numbers that there were no female carpenters uh, working on Broadway. Uh, yeah. There were no female mm -hmm. TVs. Like, that's not acceptable. And so the little thing that I can do is put it into my world that this is a thing that is possible that you can do and can be. Um, and it became of value and necessary to do it that way. Um, and I've tried to to add as much uh, whatever level of diversity I can to it and to be as conscious as I can of it. Um, Cause to, to do it any other way now would just be a, a disservice uh, to, to the industry, to my readers and, and to me, uh, cause I don't want to be the kind of creator that isn't conscious of that. Um, that I know that there's more to what I'm putting out there, uh, that there are these context and connotations and, uh, it, it exists in, in a world that isn't in a vacuum and it's not just, it has to be, uh, it has to go with my intention. I have to be intentional about what I put out there. Um, yeah. I, as a female technical director, I have not met another female technical director because like stage managers, I don't work with other TDs because if I am the TD, mm -hmm. I am the TD, but the couple others that I have worked with or worked under anything have always been male. So mm -hmm. it is weird to me to see other female TDs, not because, it's just because I just don't run across them very often. I am one, but I just don't 
come across them. So it's always it, cool to see it represented and being like, yes, you can do this. You Just because I'm female doesn't mean I can't, you know, build a set or do drawings for a set or create a budget or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, one of the one of my favorite things each year is that I get to do these signings at USITT where I get people coming up in lines to... Uh, to get things signed and I always get comments every year on that specifically I get you know people coming up wanting to to talk about cast and talk about how important it is to them um, that these characters exist for them um, yeah and so I've met more since doing it than I had known before um, and yeah it, it really hammers at home that it is that important yeah what little post-it notes years ago just to entertain a friend and look how important <laughs> it is to so many people you've never even met. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of a lot of pressure on that though too. Um, I gotta keep trying to to make sure that it's it's worthwhile for others too. Um, that it can't just be what I think is silly. Um, so I, I gotta have a a second view. It can't just be my my interpretation of what things are. I have to think about you know does this have value to others too? Um, so do you have people that you have? like read through the comics before you post them now, or do you still mostly work by yourself? Um, so uh, I, I utilize my girlfriend as much as possible in that aspect uh, that she's here and she reads just about all of them before they go on the internet uh, just to make sure that I haven't said something dumb or that it's not only funny to me. Uh, <laughs> if I get the story specifically from someone else, then they are always involved with it before it goes on the internet. I will always send them the sketch of it and the line art just to make sure that I've really gotten, you know, the sense of what it is. Um, and yeah, so there is that, but it's usually not more than one, one person, one or two people. Um, and sometimes I will write a comic and Liz will sit down and she will read it and be like, Steve, this one doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm like, well, it's a, you know, it's a sound comic. It makes sense to me. I think it's funny. <laughs> or this is a real thing. Um, yeah. Usually she stops me from being too, too mean to my characters uh, that I tend to have a little bit of like a, a grim hand as the creator. Um, <laughs> all the creative writing courses that I, I took always hammered home that you have to kill your darlings. And like to, to keep their lives from being perfect. And so I, I do kind of spill the milk a little bit on them. And um, sometimes she catches me from being too mean about it. <laughs> she was like, you'll break a lot of people's hearts if you do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get, uh, I know as a viewer, you get kind of attached to people. And when someone gets upset, it's like, Oh no, <laughs> these aren't, this isn't even me or my character, but I feel attached to them. Yeah. I try not to hurt people too much with it, but I also try to keep it about the work. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll play it serious. I, I have to have a good idea for that, though. I like to be silly. I like to joke around with it. I don't want to... I want it to be funny. I want it to be an enjoyable break because what we do, we often put too much... Uh, it's it's sometimes too grim what we do. Uh, we put too much stress on, on the work and having to get it right, and there's a lot of pressure to it, and so there has to be this you know, cathartic respite kind of thing, um, and that's... That's the, the, the void that I want to fill. <laughs> yeah, short, simple, easy to look at, laugh for a couple seconds, Yeah, and you're good. So how many... Share it to all your friends, and then you're good. <laughs> well, yes, definitely do that a lot. Uh, so how many comics have been published now? I know there's 400 and something on your website. Yeah, there's uh, 487 
have been published. 488 is on that computer right there. Um, <laughs> there's um, maybe two dozen unnumbered comics that are like holidays or filler things or I'm at USITT. Um, and about half of them are full comics and some of them are just, you know, a little post. Um, so there's those out there. So there's close to 500 right now. Um, and that was a goal. The original goal was, I like this. I'm currently like, once I started getting into it and feeling like I could do it and started, you know, selling t-shirts and selling advertisements and making money from it, thinking I can do this as a job. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I'll do it for five years or 500 comics. Um, and I'm going to hit 500 before the end of this year. And it'll be five years of the comic in March. And so now I have to expand that to 10 years or 10, you know, a thousand <laughs> comics or whatever it happens to be. I just keep going as long as I can with it. But also knowing that if I start to lose my relevancy with it, or if I start to lose my vision or direction that, you know, maybe there is a, a stopping point in there for me, but I'll do it as long as I can. Do you have any plans for any other series or are you sticking with this one right now? I mean, I've got, I've got ideas. I have things that I would like to do, but it's, this is a full-time job in and of itself. And so to try to do something else, that's one thing I see a lot of like all the, the comic creators that I follow that have like three and four projects going all at once. I don't know how you have the time to do it. It is an exhausting process and it is emotionally exhausting to do. Um, and these things, they take hours sometimes uh, sitting there. I don't know how you have the time of the day to do that and, you know, run your shop and run the business of it on top of actually making the art. And so one is enough for me right now. Um, but I have, you know, other ideas I've written down, too, of things, you know, if I have to start something new that I'll, I'll do it or if I get inspired enough, I'll, I'll start something else. But right now it's it's my baby and I'm going to focus on it. Yeah, I feel the business side of it is an important side that a lot of people don't consider. Like, we do a weekly podcast. It's an hour. But it's not just an hour of our time. Like, finding people, setting up the schedule, writing up the stuff, doing finding pictures. My husband spends at least an hour or so going through the podcast and editing it. And then all of that goes into actually doing a podcast. So you are not only just writing, but then... You have to have the web page to publish it. And then when you publish it, where else does it go? And T-shirts and who makes the T-shirts and how much do they cost to make the T-shirts? Like that's, it is a full-time job to do all of that stuff. Yeah. There's a box of T-shirts sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> most of my life right now is taken up by all these. And I've just did the Kickstarter uh, in, that finished in, uh, in March for the second volume. And those books are being printed and shipped right now. And then they will be at my house. Uh, which in addition to all of my other things, I need to find a home for 2000 books for a while here. Um, and then you take care of all, uh, sorry, you take care of all the shipping and everything yourself. Yep. That's me. Um, it tends to be like a normal day will break down where, uh, I will work for a few hours in the morning, catching up on all email and everything like that, that I have to do. And, um, responding to, to uh, all of the needs of other people first. And then, uh, in the afternoon I will, you know, pack boxes and, and, you know, fold up t-shirts nicely and have opinions about where to buy my postage from and, uh, <laughs> you know, either take it to the post office or schedule a pickup with a carrier somewhere and all that stuff that I had to learn how to do from this. And, uh, you know, then I will cook dinner and then I will have some time with Liz before then in the evening sitting down and drawing. Um, 
and we'll do that. And it's worked out for us really well as she'll sit here uh, at home with whatever project she's working on, if she's carving something or, or you know, stitching or, or doing anything she can at home, uh, she'll sit across from me and I'll sit here and we'll draw and we'll uh, do it as some shared time just so we're not completely isolated from one another. Uh, but yeah, and it's, you know, five days a week doing that. Um, and I'm sure your, your kitties help. I know my puppy helps all the time. Dog hair on uh, everything. Yeah, uh, Poe, uh, my I have a, I have two cats. I got Poe and Spoops. Poe is a, a classic uh, brown tabby, and Spoops is a little little tuxedo. And Poe the cat is the assistant regional manager of knocking shit off my desk. <laughs> um, I'm gonna get him a, an official business card with that. And Spoops like will it. sit in my lap. I post on my Instagram all the time pictures of her in the way as. I'm sitting here trying to work and she is the reason I'm not getting work done today is because she has decided to sit on my lap all day. <laughs> yep. As soon as I pull out, I can be home all day. I'm surprised as soon as you're I... not here right now. <laughs> yeah. I locked mine in the bedroom. As soon as I pull out my computer to start working, he's suddenly on top of me with his head on the keyboard, like mom. And I'm like, what now? Like I'm trying to do emails now. Nope. Pay attention to the dog. <laughs> yeah. And I love that some of uh, your characters, I mean, there's a cat in the comics, right? Well, there is Prop Cat, um, who is a stuffed cat who exists in the prop shop, who gets cut from every show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Always. It's always then, the prop you're so excited about that gets cut. Yeah, or they decide to use the rehearsal prop instead. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's the that is the closest cat. Um, and then I mean, Laropasusia tends to be rather cat-like. Used to be a little dog-like, but has become more and more cat-like as time has gone by. Um, that's a little yeah. monster dragon guy, right? Yeah, a little a little theater gremlin. Yeah, little theater. Yeah. I like on your Instagram that he goes different places with you. Yeah, um, especially at Run Run USITT, I make a point since I'm. You know, I'm super awkward and nervous about talking to people to begin with. So he's a little icebreaker for me that especially if people come up and want to talk to me and I have to be on, I will usually deflect and hold my little little stuffed gremlin up and make faces with him and have him interact instead because he's much more, much more confident than I am in talking to people. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Is he uh, crocheted or knitted or... Uh, they're knit, actually. My mom and my sister make them. Um, that uh, my mother uh, just did one kind of for fun, and it turned. That's actually this guy. He's our little adorable guy. And then uh, people thought he was cute and kept asking where they could buy them. And like, okay, well, hey, mom, do you want to set up a sweatshop? And <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, they do that. Um, uh, yeah, we're actually, they're doing another one, a, a special one for one of the mystery boxes. Um, it is not a Laropasusia, but one of the Kickstarter rewards was a, a mystery box of, of stuff. And one of the, the, the special items in there is going to be something else that was handmade by my mother. Um, Aww, it's a whole family deal. <laughs> yeah, and we also have uh, the, the Blorps as well, the little paint can. Uh, the little <laughs> paint can monsters. Um, we have those. Um I kind of know what I'm getting all my friends for Christmas this year now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I appreciate this. They are available. Do I have to? Do I have to do the pitch? They're available. On Cutie oh, we're gonna com. we're gonna attach it to the web page and everything. In fact, I know what Cindy's birthday and Christmas presents are, so that that's also very helpful. <laughs> yeah. 
Tell your mom. It's awesome that, like Stacey said, it's one of those things that, you know, I, well, we both belong to a number of different theater groups on Facebook, but even just among friends, like everybody just sends your comics back and forth to each other on a regular basis. And in almost every theater I've been into, yeah, there's your comics are everywhere. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. And I I don't get to see a lot of it. Um, that I don't have a good way to measure like how well they get shared with people. So I don't always know how many people are actually looking at what I'm doing. Uh, I only know from feedback um, uh, that I have, sure. you know, my, my site stats, but you know, nobody looks at the comic on the website. Like you, you, you know, you save it, you share it, you send it. Um, yeah. So. Or what is it? Um, is it stage direction that posts them regularly? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, I follow them. So I usually come have it come up that way or, the three or four different stage management websites always post them regularly. Yeah, Stage Directions has been wonderful because they're also digging through the archives. And so, like, I know yeah. pretty well, you know, everything that I've posted, but I don't always know what other people like of them. And so to have somebody else going through and curating a collection of them, um, it helps me to see what, you know, what I did well when I did a good. <laughs> um, I know that because the, the Morty's uh, autonomy... Autonomy? Anatomy. Anatomy. Yeah, that one just went through again, I think, yesterday. Oh, no, the prop one also went through yesterday. I saw both of those yesterday on Facebook. Those go around a lot. The the most likely comic of mine uh, to be stolen and rebranded is the anatomy of a stage manager. That uh, Several times people have stolen that image and slapped their own logo on her t-shirt or, you know, taken the... um, uh, all of the uh, little indicators off um, and listed their own things on there. And it's like, yep, that's my work and you didn't pay me for it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that sucks. I guess yeah. I have a a friend who does, um, who does comics and he says it's really hard, especially in, in foreign countries. You can't track any of that stuff. He's like, you'll be walking down the street and be like, but that's all of my work, but you can't really do anything about it. There's no real legal actions i guess you could take with it because how do you prove anything like that yeah well um i mean all the all the comics are um have their own copyright and everything and protect all the stuff that i have if i I know about it um and like the fan base is uh sometimes aggressive about it if they see something most of the time somebody will let me know um i i do hear about a lot of what happens and then i'll contact whoever posted it and see if we can figure something out um but sometimes it's also fair use um that uh there are a couple of companies out there um uh, standby ninjas is one of it uh they do uh, a lot of like uh, mm-hmm. tech theater gifts and things and yeah, yeah um, i follow them on their for, shirts yeah uh and i've known terrence for a couple of years now uh, we met at usitt and you know make a point to, to go and say hi to him he's a, a great guy and he recently did a t-shirt uh that was um a pretty much text straight, taken straight from a comic uh, that was um, if I'd wanted to hear feedback, I'd let you mix the show. Um, and he <laughs> sent me a message like, Hey, I want to make a shirt of this. Can I do that? And I was like, yeah, sure. It's, it's one of the things that I, I think it's funny, but I also don't think I want to make a shirt of it. So yeah. And we worked it out for him to do that. Uh, but then I also, I got messages on Instagram when they started posting, it was like, Steve, this person is stealing your stuff. It's like, no, he has permission like he did all the right stuff. You can relax. First. You yeah, I was going to ask, can, do you get a lot of people who write to you and say, can you either create something for them or can they use your, your stuff? Do you have any like commissions being done by other theaters? 
Um, sometimes I don't take a lot of commissions uh, as part of it. I've done uh, some things. One of my favorites was um, Cobalt Studios. Uh, they're a, a scenic design uh, education center. Um, uh, ooh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think they're in uh, New York, upstate New York. Um, that uh, they have a graduation thing uh, where they do kind of like a, a prom um, for them. Hmm. Uh, and there are a bunch of scenic painters and it's always a joke that the, you know, the only thing that they have that's not covered in, in paint is their prom dress. And, uh, they had me do the like graduation announcement cards, uh, for them where they send out a mailer to all these people. And so they commissioned a drawing of Joe, my painter wearing, you know, a prom dress. A prom dress. Uh, and she had her paint covered shoes underneath and, uh, Blorp is sitting in his fancy can. He's wearing a top hat and has a bow tie and... <laughs> Um, That'll be excellent. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I did one for ETC. Um, they contacted me and did an anatomy of Fred Foster, their founder. Um, and they came up with the jokes. It was interesting to work uh, with them because it was an entire committee that had an opinion on what I was doing. Um, mm -hmm. And like his wife was on the committee and they had very specific in jokes and it's tough because I don't get the jokes that they're, they're talking about. And so I have to be like, okay, I think this is a funny way to put this, but um, <laughs> I one, guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and that was sent out. They did a, a what a thousand or 1500, however many, just about every employee at ETC got a copy of that, which was kind of surreal. Um, a couple, and there've been some weird ones too, that I've turned down. There was a, a company that wanted to do um, like, five foot tall vinyl appliques of the characters to put up in their bathroom. Um, <laughs> and I was like, no, you don't need Wuggles watching you pee. Like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, why are your bathroom? I mean, to have something like that backstage or in a dressing room would be really awesome, but the bathroom I don't really get. Yeah. Um, but in dressing rooms or a green room, I mean, that would be hilarious. If I walk into a green room, I'd be like, oh, I belong here. <laughs> Um, but otherwise it's mostly prints of stuff. People want custom prints like, Oh, this is my favorite comic. I want to do this and I'll do it. Um, I've done some commissions of, I very rarely do like full comic commissions, but, um, I did one for, uh, Jay Duckworth, uh, prop master of public theater who wanted to do, um, he was doing a KCACTF thing, um, and mm -hmm. wanted an announcement, um, or something he put on his poster. And so I did a, a comic for that where, uh, he was being uh, introduced and they were like, oh, we're so pleased to present you with uh, the most talented and accomplished, uh, the greatest props uh, artisan to ever live. Uh, uh, oh, he's, he's darn handsome, too. And the last panel, it's, but Eric Hart turned us down. So you get Jay Duckworth. Uh, <laughs> and, and of course, okay. Eric and Jay worked together and Jay thought it was hysterical. Um, and yeah, you know, it's just just. It was a fun time. Um, and then Jay, of course, for my birthday this year, he sent me a comic that he drew of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that has to be fun, though. I don't have anything like artsy like that that I can like share back and forth. Otherwise, my house would probably be full of that. Yeah. Well, I've got boxes of the originals and uh, I, I sell the original comics too. like people. If they love a comic, they can send me an email and I'll send them the original for it. Um, and I got people asking, like, why do you, how can you part with them? You know, they're, they're your art that you made. It's like, well, they're unfinished. They're only half the thing. So I draw them by hand um, so I can show you what to do, um, which will be completely useless to the people listening to your podcast. Yeah. Um, they're hand drawn on Bristol board and inked and 
then I'll scan them uh, and I will, uh, you know, color them on Photoshop on my computer and all that. And so they're not finished yet. Um, they're they're this this you know weird liminal space, liminal uh, creation, um, and they mean more to other people than they do to me. And so I'm willing to send them out there to have somebody take good care of them. Um, and there are people that have huge numbers of them. Um, there, uh, I knew once there was a, a couple who each bought original art for each other for their anniversary, but they didn't know that each other had done it, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. I guess I know a couple, a couple of friends of mine who are married, <laughs> but like a lighting designer and stage manager married that I could totally see them doing that for each other. Yeah. Be hilarious. Oh man. Should I I a... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, actually, I should text both of them and tell them this idea, because then it'll be even funnier. <laughs> um, there was a, uh, a, a guy who got uh, cufflinks. He, uh, I, I did art uh, for, um, well, I didn't even have to make the art. I already had it, that he used for his cufflinks for his wedding. Um, they were, I believe they were Tech Week somewhere, and Tech Week is coming. I, uh, but yeah, they were just uh, printed like um, uh, like the typewriter key cufflinks, that kind of style. Um, oh, Yeah. With, you know, my art on there that he thought was important enough to him to wear on his wedding day. So that was really cool. Yeah, why um, not? That's amazing. Yeah. So and next time I go to a theater and I find your comics, I'm going to start taking pictures and sending them to you. <laughs> um, when I walked into the uh, into the theater building at OU with Liz while she was visiting the campus, uh, stuck up on the lighting office are like 30 of my comics just pasted up there. Um, and I saw them and whenever I like see them in the wild, I like clam up and like, okay, now I can't be me. I have to be the guy that makes the comic. And like, I don't know what to do about this. Um, but do and... most people recognize you like your face as the person who makes the comics? Only if I'm wearing the hat. Uh, but if yeah. I have the flat cap on, they, they know who I am. And uh, even at USITT, where people know that I'm there, if I'm not wearing the hat, I'm invisible. And it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that that's like the best talent. You can get known when you want to and then completely disappear. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I, actually, the weirdest place that I've been recognized as the guy that does Q2Q comics was at one of those make-your-own-pizza places in St. Louis. Uh, <laughs> I would, there on break and we just happened to be talking about theater and uh the young woman that was making our our pizza was like wait are you you're not are you the are you the q to q comics guy and i was like dear god yes hi <laughs> this is what I, awesome. I want to have um yeah and it's not it's it's never anything bad never been anything super weird um it's mostly fun, but I just, I'm such an awkward person that I don't always know how to deal with it. Um, That's really I cool, though. Into, um, uh, PNTA, the Pacific Northwest Theater Association, there they have a, a storefront out in Seattle, and Liz is from there, and so we got there visiting, and she wanted to, to walk in, um, and they had one of my comics posted on the register, and then... Uh, I was like, oh well, this is his comic. He he draws this, and they're like, oh no, no, for real. And then I drew sketches for everyone that was working there. They pulled out paper, and I drew a bunch of Mortys for them. And um, <laughs> and now like we're we're good friends with the uh, the woman that had it up on her on her register. That she's a stage manager, and like we've roomed together at conventions, and we visit her every time we're out there. Uh, and so you know, we meet people and make friends that way too. Um, I mean, that is a good icebreaker. Yeah, it gives me something to be that it doesn't have to be me for a minute. 
Yeah, um, and, and they true. know about your comics, and you know about your comics, so it's easy to talk about. Yeah, oh, but I don't, I don't ever want to talk about, and like, not that I don't want to talk about them, but I never bring it up about me, like, um, especially if working, like, uh, if I'm on a job, like, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I just, I want to, you know, mix a show and go home. Um, that like, I am never the one that brings it up, and then other people figure it out. Um, but. It's like a thing that that people know about me at stage is part of why I like working there is that they know that I just want to be the sound engineer I, that I don't really want to talk about the comics um, that I just want to do the show um, and not have to not have to, to sit there with people saying, oh, Steve, you need to this is make a comic about this, do this and be that person on demand when they want it um, that, you know, I'm, I'm there to do work <laughs> and collect the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like two two different worlds. They overlap, yeah. but they don't always have to be the same. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I also do, like during tech weeks for the lighting designer, I will draw little sketches of him being a doofus and I will throw them at him from the booth. And um, <laughs> like, it's still involved there, but they're not of the characters. They're of him being a doofus. <laughs> yeah, just the same style because it's you doing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I did get in trouble for... Um, Having during tech, uh, paging my A2 to come to the booth to hand deliver a joke to the lighting designer. (laughs) (laughs) I've totally done stuff like that on very boring shows before. (laughs) I remember one show Cindy and I were on, the the sound designer left the board to come upstairs and we're like, what's wrong? He's like, no, I got something important to do. And we're upstairs and he's downstairs and we're like, what is he doing? And he showed up and he's like, can I have some of the candy? We're like, you left the board during it. He's like, yeah, it's not an important scene. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. We only Uh, had like a million freaking sound cues during that show and he just wanted more candy. um, I've sent, I've had my A2 grab me, you know, brownies or baked goods from the dressing room. Yeah. I I will always preface it with, with um my a2's name is beef um that is the name the professional name that she goes by so that nobody forgets who she is is beef nice um, and so i will send her a message uh beef to the booth it's an emergency also bring brownies um, <laughs> part of the emergency so she has to and to get there during the show she has to leave the building and walk around to the front and come in through the lobby to get to the booth um and then she will bring the brownies. Like Steve, what's what's going on? What's wrong? It's like, oh no, I just I ran out of brownies. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Once again. Important. That's such a common sound sound engineer thing. I think because I've seen that happen so many times with sound guys. So yeah, I worry that if I made a comic about it, though, that uh, so the producer at, at at stages reads the comic and 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 you know supports it on Patreon and and loves it and wants to talk about it. Um, and so I feel like if I did something like that, he would be like Steve. Is this real? Are you using company resources <laughs> to do this? <laughs> You're like, no, this is one of those stories that I've heard about from other people. Clearly not me. Couldn't be. <laughs> I would never do something like that. Yeah. That is so awesome. So when did you start? I know we're getting close to an hour, but when did you start with, uh, what is it called? Patreon? Patreon. Oh, geez. I don't actually know. I don't know exactly when I started doing that. Um, it was probably within the first year. It was new when I started doing it. Um, and it was just one of those things where uh, it was new and exciting. And it was for creators, by creators. And I uh, wanted to give it a shot. And then um, like I don't make an absurd amount of money doing it. Uh, but it gives people an opportunity. I had people wanting to donate every month. And PayPal isn't always the best 
way to do it to structure it monthly. It, it's not always transparent. And this was a way that I could give them content back to in one place. Um, and so it started off with me like sending prints and stuff, but it became too much to on top of everything else to control. Um, and so now I really just send them early comics or sketches. Whenever I'm finished with a comic, I post it there first so they can read it. And it's one or two dollars a month. Um, some people give more. Um, and it gives them a place to do it and to interact. Um, during the Kickstarter, I would uh, they were involved in some of the creative process for laying out the book and, and what kind of rewards people should get. Uh, I asked them for feedback. It's kind of like um, having a captive brain trust uh, where if I... I don't know what to do, or if Liz doesn't have a good answer for a question, I will sometimes drop in there. Um, hmm. I don't always, I'm, I'm not the most engaging creator on there. Um, and I know that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try my best with it. Um, I try to give people what they want in a way that's, uh, you know, not going to get in the way of how they enjoy consuming my product. Um, well, if there is a way for people to help support you more, what, for you, what is it? Since so much since your comics are usually out there for free, is it supporting you on that? Is it helping you with Kickstarter? Like, Man, is there a I way mean, that people could could help? I mean, there's there's a, a couple of good ways. Um, I mean, obviously, if, if you are in a position to support it financially, yeah, Patreon is easy, and it's, it's only a couple bucks a month. Um, buying merchandise helps, obviously. Uh, that money goes straight to me, um, that I use most of it to buy more T-shirts. <laughs> um, <laughs> it goes back right. into it. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a direct way to do it. There's not like some company running it for me. It's all me doing it. Um, I mean, you can donate directly. There are, you know, donate buttons on the, the website, but that's never something that I expect anyone to ever do. Um, and then if you don't have the money to do it, what you're doing, read it, share it, tell your friends about it, talk about it. Um, that's the only way more people are going to hear about it. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, the Kickstarter helps. Um, the Kickstarter is just an extension of the shop though, that they're, um, I don't do too much on there uh, that isn't going to be available at some point uh, somewhere else uh, that you get some unique things like the mystery boxes or the first Kickstarter I did the anatomies and I'm never going to do that again. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that was Trixie. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise it's just sharing it, uh, following me on, on my social media accounts and engaging and telling me that you like what I'm doing, uh, commenting, liking, sharing all that stuff. And like there's no amount of saying that's going to make people do it if they don't want to. Uh, and I recognize that and acknowledge it, but like, um, yeah, just, I, I don't know. Do people still discuss things around water coolers? I don't know if that's a thing. Um, <laughs> them out, post them on your door. Like probably around Starbucks yeah. these days, <laughs> sit around in a coffee shop and discuss it. But yeah, yeah I mean, your just... website has the stuff for sale and Patreon's right there at the top under support. And, uh, yeah, definitely like Cindy said, Christmas presents. Christmas is coming up. Everybody needs little knitted creatures. Yeah, uh, I mean, people will buy prints for their their designers and, and things, uh, closing gifts, opening gifts, like people do all that stuff. Um, and I'm, you know, if you tell me you need them before this day, I'll get them to you. Um, I try my best at least. But here I go making promises. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, now that you've said that, and I have not thought about that, but I feel like for all of my next uh, opening and closing night gifts, that's what I'm going to do. Because I, no, you do the standard like Starbucks, but that's no fun. I mean, that is fun when you want coffee, but <laughs> it would be even more cool to get a little comic about it. Yeah, but you can't buy coffee with the comics. Uh, 
But you have coffee and you read your comics. That's so true. It does true. go right comics hand. about coffee. Yes, <laughs> right. as all good theaters right. have. Yeah. Um, Cindy, there are button sets that, you know, yeah. you can then pass out button sets to people. Yeah. With different yeah, I was looking at the buttons the other night. And if you have really anything else. you want to see on buttons or prints of things, I am open to, to ideas always. <laughs> um, you're talking Eventually, about like, I went all the stage management ones because obviously they're my favorites. Yeah, <laughs> there are plenty. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're talking about like uh, you'd asked earlier if I'd thought about like um, if I'd thought that I was going to get this, you know, this kind of response to it. Um, Mm-hmm. And one of the most surreal moments for me was um, uh, Christmas of, uh, I guess it's 2014, 20, uh, 2013, uh, whatever the, the first year was there. Uh, I had just started selling shirts and prints and things and then realizing that people had been buying them for the holidays and that people are going to be giving them as gifts that somebody is going to be excitedly opening, you know, something, a t-shirt that has my handwriting on it, something that I made. Um, They're going to do that, that that's something that they're going to open and remember and, you know, or they're going to get it as a gift and it's going to be, you know, uh, indelibly attached to, to that moment. And that's, that's huge. Um, That's the stuff that makes, that gives me pause. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, really, when you walk really cool. around and you see the pictures and stuff, places do you see people with your merchandise. Sometimes like, do they come um, to you at uh, LDI and things like that. Uh, yeah. Um, what actually gets me is like uh, when people that I either only kind of know, or if I'm on like Tumblr or something, and they post a a shot of them that's just candid. That's not. Like, oh, look at this shirt I got. But they're just, you know, casually wearing a Q2Q comic shirt. That makes me smile. Like, yeah, that's something they wear. Um, yeah, it's I, something that you just wear on a daily basis. Or, you know, it's just yeah. in your rotation of clothes. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't I don't wear the shirts. Liz has a couple of the shirts. She'll wear the paint shirt and things and gets it nice and ruined as it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I've got that's some what Stacey needs. My mom um, is my... always like, do you own clothes that don't have paint and holes? I'm like, yeah, but they only <laughs> last for a very short amount of time. And then somehow I get paint and holes on them. So yeah. <laughs> I have uh, so my, my mentor, uh, who was he was my boss at stages when I got there. And now he's one of the audio engineers up at the Guthrie. He has coming shirts and he wears them, uh, you know, as a uniform for Tech Week. Um, and, yes. you know, that makes me smile. <laughs> Because he's probably so proud and like, I know this guy. This is excellent. <laughs> uh, well, I'm proud to know him too, that he, he taught me an awful lot. So, so Actually, cool. I think I do want to text. Cece, I'm just going to send you links of the ones that I want. But <laughs> we can space them out. Okay. So, Christmas opening, and birthday. And Actually, like the good thing about being night. twins, half the time Stacey and I just buy presents that we like ourselves and then give them to the other person. And especially when we were living together, it made it so much easier because then we could just use them ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so convenient yeah. it's very convenient so i'll just start buying myself presents for christmas great i don't nope. have to ship them <laughs> <laughs> excellent so we're about at an hour uh we talked about your website and merchandise and of course it'll be in our link so anybody can find it uh now the non-theater or it doesn't have to be theater related got any twin stories um i know several twins um 
at the Maryland Ensemble Theater, uh, two of the company members uh, are, are twins. They're identical twins. Um, they were Joanne and Julie. Uh, and Joanne was our scenic designer, uh, and she would paint everything, and she would be in there overnights. And uh, Julie did costumes for just about everything. She was also involved in the education programs. Um, and so I didn't always see them at the same place. And then there was always this moment of pause when I saw one of them. It was like, okay, which one are you? Okay, you're Julie. Um, <laughs> and Julie, uh, she was a director too, and she directed me probably more than any other director. We got into, uh, we had this kind of groove where there was like, she's doing one of these, uh, you know, weird sort of uh, um, kind of nightmarish movement heavy shows. Um, and she's going to need Steve to sound design that. And our friend Paul is going to have to light design that. And so we had this kind of crew that we, we were this group um, that worked on, you know, probably maybe five or six shows over the course of a couple of years uh, doing that kind of motif. Um, and Julie directed it and Joanne did the scenic design. And like uh, that was just, they were just a team. Um, we also, we did a, in a, a derived piece that was the all new grand old hee-haw hootenanny hoedown jamboree. Um, <laughs> I bet that fit on a poster. Man, uh, it took a while, but uh, I was actually, I was a musician in the band for it. I, uh, the, the, the band that I was in, I was a touring musician for a couple of years, and uh, the band that I was in uh, became the house band for that show, and so I sat there and played bass and wore a cowboy hat every night, um, and they were both in the show, and they played the twins, um, Jalen and Jolene, um, and <laughs> they said everything in unison. It was, it was uh, terrifying, is I think the word I want to use. Yes. <laughs> Um, and I bet they loved it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I've worked with a couple. I mean, I, I have some fraternal friends, uh, fraternal twins that are, I'm friends with. Um, but the only other like good identical twin story. I, oh no. Okay. I've got one. I know I've got a good story. <laughs> uh, I did a production of um, Alice in Wonderland um, in which uh, we, it was a theater for young audiences. And we did a talk back after every show where they could ask questions and, Every single day, one of the questions was, um, uh, are um, uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, are you actually twins? Um, and they were. They were identical twins. Um, and it was incredibly difficult for me to tell them apart. And so most of the time, I had to base it by where they were on stage um, as to which <laughs> one was which. Um, but the thing was, there was actually two sets of twins in the show. Um, because our Alice and our white rabbit were fraternal twins. And so they always said, it's like, yes, we're, we're twins, but there's also another set of twins and they made all the kids guess. And uh, they thought, you know, maybe it's two of the flowers or someone else. And no one ever guessed that it was Alice and, and the white rabbit. Cause I mean, they, they look nothing alike. Yeah. Um, people forget fraternal twins. Yeah. Um, I, think <laughs> amazing. The, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever done a show with twins. Like I've had one of the twin, but never both twins. Like we've done shows together, but as well, backstage yeah, people. Of us. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. one. So to do a show that has two sets of twins in it, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have any other good stories about twins. <laughs> it's better. Yeah, that's good though. Most of our stories are just confusing people, which twins do, which you you know fell victim to. Yeah, always good. Oh, victim too. <laughs> what, 
thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This was... Yeah, of course. No, thanks for having me. It's, oh, it's didn't even get to ask about D and D. Oh well, we can talk about D and D. I always have time to talk about D and D. I was oh, reading your page the other night, and I was telling Twin, I was like, "This guy's gonna be my new favorite person. He makes great comics, and he plays D and D." I've been in the game for almost two years, and uh, and then we have a second game we haven't played as much. And for a while, we had a third game, but I was getting the characters confused. Uh, but yeah, no, um, for not being I'm... actors, we it's a almost all theater people playing the game so sometimes like people are in tech so we lose a person and when the stupid dm decides to do a show and then i can't have him for like six weeks and then he cast his wife in something and i'm like what is your guys's problem (laughs) this is important (laughs) uh we had a monday night game uh that uh, at stages i've been uh running games there um and usually they'll they'll go for a season we'll play about 10 sessions but this last one we had uh, we liked it so much that we've been playing online since we left. Um, and we will play on Mondays because, you know, everyone's off. Even if you're in the shop, yeah. you've got Monday night off. And so we just guarantee it. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was actually it was uh, I'm the DM for it. Um, and then my A2 is in that uh, game. Our deck carpenter um, is, is there. Uh, our assistant technical director and his girlfriend, uh, the master electrician. She was hired as an electrician, but by the end of the season, she was field promoted to master electrician. Um, (laughs) And then let's see. Yeah. And then our former assistant stage manager, who was the associate production manager who now doesn't work for the company, but we all still love her very dearly is in that game. Um, (laughs) That's quite a few people. Hmm? That's quite a few people. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be one fewer. And then we had actually uh, at the beginning of the season when they found out that I wanted to run a D&D game, there were about, you know, 20 people that were like, oh, yeah, let's play D&D. And it's like, I'm not doing that. Um, yeah, that's way too many. So we had a game night and then me and the other guy who were going to DM, uh, we sat down and we drafted players. <laughs> um, yeah. And I got one of them back uh, after a couple of weeks. Uh, she kind of uh, scrubbed out of their game and was like, yeah, I'd rather play with you guys. So we picked her up. Um, so you yes. had two two games going at stages. Half of you guys all playing one game and half of you guys on another game? Yep. yep. Um, and the oh. one game uh, was one that he had run the story before. Uh, and so he was just kind of slotting them in and running them through pre-made stuff that he'd done. Uh, and then I did a largely improv-based story where... I was taking it one session at a time and the players were really writing the story with what they wanted to do. Um, and now we're still playing that one. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's, it's frustrating because they are the kind of party that wants to burn everything down instead of having any kind of, you know, conversation. Um, oh, uh, see, mine's the opposite. We have a character in mind who wants to talk to everyone. Like the yeah. acid-breathing dragon who have already burnt two of our people. And she's like, can I talk to him? And we're like, <laughs> talk to him? We're dying. You can't talk to him. Yeah. We're um, dying. So uh, Liz always plays. Uh, uh, she always plays bards and people with high charisma, uh, and she has a tendency to, uh, instead of engaging in combat, she'll just stop and be like, "Whoa, this has all just been some kind of big misunderstanding," and try to charisma her way out of everything. Um, <laughs> she's great as a player, but frustrating as hell as a DM. Um, <laughs> No, and then I just started, I did my first session of another game yesterday that the, the, our ATD who plays in the other campaign is DMing um, uh, a new game. And so I get to be a player for the first time in like almost 10 years. Uh, so I'm playing a, um, a 
female mountain dwarf who's all four feet tall. She's a barbarian and wields nice. a great big glaive and hits people from 10 feet away and talks with my worst Scottish accent. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I play a male paladin, uh, half-elf, and my husband plays a female elf who's only four feet tall. Because <laughs> I was like, Excellent. well, I guess we got to balance it out. If you're going to play female, I got to play male. But it's a constant saying he or she or who you're talking to yeah i found it tries so hard um that it's actually i feel like it's it's good practice for trying to just you know get better at remembering what people's pronouns are anyway um yeah (laughs) and we have characters that are uh you know they go through and they introduce themselves with their pronouns so we know um in the one game we have uh an elf who's been out of society for whatever it is 100 years and um, just has you know, destroyed gender as a concept, and so they are they them as Zerophil. Um, and yeah, then we have uh, other players that that play uh, different genders just to do it. Um, and for me, as uh, I just want to play the best possible character, and I thought this is the most interesting way to do it. Uh, I wanted to play a female dwarf with a very uh, who's very proud of her finely trimmed goatee, um, <laughs> <laughs> as most dwarves are. Yeah. No, I just recently, within the last couple of months, got super into doing uh, painting minis. Uh, yeah, I saw got... some of yours on Instagram. They're gorgeous. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, like everything on this table behind me uh, right now, and then there's two bo- like boxes beneath it, and uh, some of it's unpainted, most of it's painted. And we would sit there after shows, me and the deck carp, because we were roommates, and we would just paint um, for uh, hours after the show, as and chill and listen to D D podcasts and you're doing the adventure zone and critical role oh, and yep we um, do both of those for i think i'm one episode behind on adventure zone yeah. but definitely um, critical role were a little behind because they're much longer episodes yeah. we did uh i actually just did the adventure zone this year as part of a trade uh one of the other players was like okay i'll listen to crit roll if you listen to adventure zone and i was like i get the better into this stick it's a lot shorter <laughs> it's a lot shorter yeah <laughs> yeah so I did that over the summer, and I only did the uh, the balance arc. I stopped. Uh, I stopped uh, at the um, what's uh, whatever the new one is. Um, uh, Amnesty. Yeah, yeah. So I, I stopped right before that, uh, just to try to catch up on other things. And uh, Liz got me into crit roll, and we are uh, completely caught up on uh, season two. And uh, we have watched or listened to all of uh, campaign one, but. I don't remember half of it because I was this, driving most of it. Right, um, and it's so long and it gets so detailed. Yeah. I don't know how they... Well, even they would forget things. I don't know how Matt Mercer kept everything. He, he's just amazing. Yeah. But he's been DMing for years, so he... Yeah. No, he's he's incredible. Um, and he's, you know... he. Uh, I we're, we're into... Like everything they do, we watch the... the um, uh, you know, Talks Machina and the... Um, uh between the sheets the uh the one that brian w foster does where he interviews them one-on-one uh and the matt mercer one will will make you cry um and just like (laughs) seeing this this poor little kid that just doesn't have any confidence in what he's doing and you know the amazing way people are responding me like no everything you do is amazing um and just you know seeing him light up and especially him talking about marisha or anyway i'm a freaking nerd and these are the things that i love (laughs) Nope, that's what I told Twit. I was like, "Yay, D and D!" Well, that's actually why why we started this podcast. Kind of is Stacy listens to all these D and D podcasts, and then one day she called me up and she's like, "You know, there's no tech theater podcast." And I was like, "And 
I don't know where you're going with this. And she was like, well, we should start one. But it's because she was listening to all of these D&D ones. And she yeah. just loved them so much and loved listening to people talk about it. And, you know, she was like, it's such a cool way to communicate with people. And she was like, we should do our own. Yeah, no. like, yeah, because we totally have time for that. But yeah, we <laughs> something episodes later on the time for it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's all thanks to D&D. &D. <laughs> my husband, who's nerdier than me and got me into it. <laughs> okay, no. so now that we're we're over an hour, because we could probably talk about D and D for a couple more hours. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you for being on the podcast. This is excellent, and um, I think this podcast comes out in two weeks or so from when we record it. Not that anyone knows when we're recording it, but uh, yeah, we'll put everything online. We'll tag you in things. We'll put your links up there. Definitely advertise. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and next we have to get his girlfriend on here because we want to talk about props. Absolutely, yeah, because props are cool. It's so impressive. Okay, yeah, we'll have no, to make uh, that Thank happen. you for having me on. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, good luck with everything. No, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.